Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey guys, before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let y'all know that my entire family has switched our cell phone service over to Patriot, and it has been such a great move for us. Patriot Mobile is America's only conservative cell phone company. They're all about freedom, the Constitution, giving you the power to support conservative organizations. It's right up our alley. It's like having a superpower for your beliefs. Patriot Mobile uses the same reliable networks as the big carriers, so you'll get great service wherever you go. We did not see a change in our service, and actually it's gotten better. Their customer service is incredible. You call and you immediately get someone on the phone to help you with something. They've got plans to fit every budget from unlimited talk and text to data-packed options for all your streaming needs. And when you make this switch to Patriot Mobile, they will buy out your current contract up to $500 a line. So fellow freedom-loving friends, it is time to make the change. Head over to PatriotMobile.com today. Use the code Blake for 10% off your bill. That's PatriotMobile.com, code Blake. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Kurt, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to have you here. We are going to talk about poverty, which makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> and that mm, it does. is kind of the point. And that's, I'm just really excited to talk about this with you. You are the co-founder and executive director of the 410 Bridge, which is focused on community development organization, which sounds really fancy. And I need Mm -hmm. you to put that in layman terms for us. Sure, sure. Well, so in layman's terms, as we are a community development uh, ministry, we work in the developing world, Kenya, Haiti, Guatemala, Uganda. But we really walk alongside entire communities of people struggling in extreme poverty. And we move them from where they are today to a place where they can continue their journey of development long after we leave. Yeah. So we are essentially trying to work ourselves out of a job is what yeah. we're trying to do. That's and amazing. We, we do that in those four countries. And we have, I think, a very distinctive way of doing that, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But yeah, it's uh, it's an honor to do it. It's a privilege to do it. It's, and it's super, super exciting. Yeah. It's been an, an exciting ride. We talked a little bit before we started recording about kind of how the West or America in particular 
interacts with these developing countries and how sometimes, especially the church has gotten it really wrong Mm -hmm. and telling you, I remember going on mission trip and it's the ones where you like, we went to Mexico and you go and I don't even know what we did. Right. Like we like stacked up cinder blocks. I'm pretty sure at one point, like it was just completely, we're going because we wanted to make an impact. And now as an adult, I look back on those experiences and I'm like, we could have executed that a little bit better. And so mm-hmm. your initiative is not just coming in and like doing some things and fixing it and then leaving. You're giving these people longevity and you're making a real impact. Tell me a little bit about how 410 does that. You know, that's true. We, you know, we live in that world, by the way. We, we, you know, we mobilize a lot of people to go and do what you did as a, as a student. You know, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, it's not all bad, but it is. No, absolutely. And we do have to focus on how we go do that. And are we doing that well? And are we doing that in a God-honoring way? Are we maintaining people's dignity when we go off and and serve them abroad? And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're deep into that world. So really what 410 Bridge does is we, again, we adopt entire communities. And so the first thing we do is we establish indigenous leadership. Those are the the local leaders of a community, say a community of three to 5,000 people. And those leaders are responsible for mobilizing and unifying their community to go off and do for themselves. Mm. And then we walk really alongside them, really behind them as they pull us toward wherever they want to go. So we're less concerned about where their needs, what their needs are. And we're more concerned about what their vision is. Mm. We are super comfortable with letting them make a lot of mistakes in their leadership because that's how we all learn. Mm-hmm. We're also super comfortable with recognizing all the mistakes that we make when we try to help. And let's stop doing the things that are not helpful or strip people of their dignity and bail on that. And let's let's go try to revisit uh, what we could be doing better. So, you know, we're learners. We are very relational in that we want to, you know, a lot of times here in North America, we want to help the poor without really knowing the poor. Mm. And we want to know them. We want to know who they are. We know about their families. We want to know about where they're headed. We want to know what they're struggling with. What they're, what what is their walk with the Lord? What can they teach us? Mm-hmm. It's not just us, you know, serving them. We serve each other. And uh, when all of those things come together in a place over a long period of time, it's amazing what can happen. You know, just in as a as a group of people understand, an entire community of people understand that God's given them everything that they need to change the, the quality of their life. Mm-hmm. And they need to start with what they have. They need to own the problem. They need to own the solutions. And we just really walk with them and stand in the gap of what they can't do on their own to the point where they ultimately graduate from the 410 Bridge relationship and they continue that journey long after we leave. So, And I love that people graduate out of it. You know, you said that at the beginning, we're going to work ourselves out of a job. And that looks like teaching these people self-sustaining life lessons, what are some of those like realistic, nitty gritty? What are you teaching these people? That's a direct question that has somewhat of an indirect answer. But let me let me tell you first, you know, it starts with, you know, I'm a business guy. So I came out of the business world. And I'm probably the last guy on the planet that should be running a ministry, I always think, because God's got a great sense of humor. But (laughs) I do. And so all those business principles that I had, and and with the businesses that I started, and one of those that I brought to 410 is, you know, we, we rise and fall in our definitions. And so if we're going to solve a poverty problem, which is what we're looking to solve, how do we define poverty? Mm. And we don't define poverty as a material problem. It's an issue of worldview. It's an issue of people's perspectives, the story they're telling themselves to be true, 
the lens in which they see how the world should work. You know, those we all have a worldview here, there, everywhere, and and that worldview drives the choices that we all make. If we think something, the world should work a certain way, we're going to make a certain choice based on that worldview. And then those choices drive the actions we take. And so how we move people out of an extreme poverty environment to a place where they can self-sustain and they can continue that journey of development without us is really all about helping them shift their worldview. Yeah. That, like I said earlier, they've God's given them everything they need to change the quality of their life. But if they think that the solutions to their problems are going to be solved or their problems are going to be solved by outsiders mm. and not within their community, then they're going to make different decisions. They're going to sit back and they're not going to be involved. They're just waiting for somebody to come in and solve the problem for them. But we teach them that they should start with what they have, that you know God loves them mm-hmm. and he was he's created them for a purpose. They're image bearers, but they also have responsibility. They have responsibilities. Yeah, we all do, right? We have responsibilities to be godly parents and godly spouses and godly school teachers and godly leaders and godly business people. And when we do all of that, because we're holistic and we're doing all of those things in the same place, it's amazing Yeah. What how people's perspectives will change and the level of excitement they have to know that, you know what, we will never go back to being poor again, that we had poverty of the mind mm. and you taught us to start with what we have, to glorify him and honor him and all that we do that our relationships with our neighbors and our families and, and our school teachers and our students, fellow students, all of those things are so important that an entire community grasps that vision, they'll do more to solve their poverty problem without us than they will with us. Do you see that poverty mindset in America as well? Uh, no doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it's, it's everywhere, right? right it's not, exactly. you know, we're not, we're not immune to it. We have a couple of different types of poverty. Well, you know, okay. You know, people are going to listen to this and go, well, that's awfully simplistic, but you know, we have, poverty here, but we don't have the poverty that we see in the developing world, of course. But we also have a poverty of affluence over here, Mm. that we believe that we have the money and the idea, and therefore that things should be our way. And or we, you know, we have a mindset, a worldview that it's up to others to solve my problem. Mm -hmm. I'm a victim. When you embrace kind of a victim mentality, again, here, there, everywhere, when anybody embraces a victim mentality, basically they're saying, hey, look at all the things that are happening to me. And I don't have really any responsibility in those things happening to me. And it is, and you should have sympathy for me and help me because of all the things that are happening to me. And I just don't think that that is what God says when he says he wants us to have an abundant life, that's that's not going to get us there. Yeah. And so we try to we try to change that. And it's really hard. It is. It's hard work. It is. But I'm a I'm a super, that's why I love what you're doing. I, I I'm a super direct guy, really blunt and direct. And I always say that God's gifted me with a limited vocabulary. <laughs> I just gotta use the same words over and over again. I am definitely a crappy Christian. <laughs> but People say, oh, no, no, we like it when you're direct, you know, until I am. Mm. Uh, and then they start scratching their head a bit saying, wow, that that's a bit that's a bit strong. Yeah. But I think 410 Bridge, my goal when I you know started 410 Bridge 17 years ago, is that we want to be a disruption to this poverty space. Yeah. Because what we're doing more often than not does more harm to the poor than it does help. That's actually like data driven. That is, oh, it that is. It, it's not, I mean, at least in, in America, right? You have Lyndon B. Johnson starts the war on poverty in the 60s. 
where, and that's where you get like all your social reform policies and programs. And before that, you had like people's self-sustaining abilities were actually getting better in in America. And then you have the, the 60s hit war on poverty and everything bottoms out. People are just as poor, if not poorer than they were before these programs got in place. And even though I know like Lyndon B. Johnson's whole thing was like, it's a hand up, not a handout. That's BS. It was absolutely a handout and it continues to be. But like, and you, you've said this multiple times. And I think it so gets to the point where you're stripping people of their dignity. When you do something, Bob Lupton wrote a book years ago called Toxic Charity. He says, when you do something for somebody that has the capacity to do it for themselves, you disempower them. Exactly. We do more to disempower people on this side of the bridge. Again, here, there, everywhere. But we do more to disempower people than we do empower them. And the problem, of course, Blake, is that when you can't empower somebody against their will, mm. they have to embrace their empowerment. You know, you can put them in an empowering environment, but if they don't, if they don't claim it, if they don't embrace it, if they don't own it, nothing you can do that, that's going to change that. But right. we're teaching people that they don't have to embrace that empowerment. They want to be empowered, but they don't want to embrace it. Right. But but this goes back decades, decades. and decades where right. it's been right. taught is the problem. And the thing is, is that like this crosses racial lines. This ca- crosses like every demographic. People hear mm. these conversations and they think you're talking about black people. I'm actually not. No, you're all <laughs> Oh, here we go. I mean, because. The problem is, is that the longer we can continue to to, to divide us based on those mm-hmm. issues, the longer we will not focus on what it means to be empowered, to take control, to have to live an abundant life. As long as we can silo people into these different groups, we don't have to come together, and we and we can continue to blame all the reasons that we're siloed. Yeah, look, we're all different. You know, my family. If you were to look at my family, my family's like the UN. We are. I, I, I have an African-American son. I got a Chinese daughter. I got my wife, Swedish. My son married a Hispanic girl. My my uh, son married a Chinese girl. We were the UN. Yeah. And we celebrate those differences as opposed to siloing each other into these preconceived notions of who we are and who we're. And I just feel like I look at our country as it relates to our ability to thrive and we will not thrive as long as we continue to separate people into these groups Man. and their identities fall into these groups and we have one identity yeah as believers our one identity is that we are followers of christ mm-hmm. my pastor says you know jesus makes us makes life better it makes us better at life i wish i wish we would embrace that yeah say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah, because this phenomenon does not, it doesn't like miss the church, right? The the church mm-hmm. is divided. The of church course. is siloed. And I, I would think from someone in your position who is trying to 
leverage the self-sufficiency and the benefits of living in the West in developed countries to help the undeveloped countries, there has to be like a special level of frustration of like, can we get our crap together? Because there, there, there are things to actually be done. As a body of Christ, there's things that we should be doing. Yeah. You know, the way I say it is, you know, we can't be successful in helping people struggling in extreme poverty around the world without support mm -hmm. from the West. But we also can't be successful in our work until we change the paradigm of how the West engages the poor. Yes. And so I spend a lot of my time, that's why I love these things and, and, and these podcasts, and I especially love your directness, <laughs> to explain to this side of the bridge that there are good ways and there are bad ways of helping the poor. Yeah. And we have to, we, we have to change how we think about it. Yeah. We can't do for people. We need to do with people. Mm. But we can't do for people here and then expect them to go do things on their own. Yes. Because we're doing for them. And the longer you go do for people, the longer they're going to let you do for do for them. Just having this conversation actually with a group of friends. And when I was reading through your notes and I got to the point where you, you said at one point, like, what are the benefits of engaging with the poor working with, not for? I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what we were talking about in that the biblical send out that Jesus gave the church was go and make disciples. You don't make disciples when you don't teach people how to take care of themselves, like join the workforce make an impact. You're making maybe followers, but follower and disciple aren't synonymous. Right. I mean, there's, I just went through an exercise, interestingly, about that. And, and it was, it was basically, hey, what would, what, what does the average churchgoer think a disciple is? Mm -hmm. And how would they define disciple? Again, you rise and fall in your definitions. But then if you look at scripture and start talking about, well, what is a disciple? What does God say a disciple is? It becomes very clear that what culture and our tradition and our society thinks, or even the body believers here thinks a disciple is, is not what God says it is. And it's really hard to be a disciple if you're not making disciples. That's one of the things that a true disciple does is it makes other, helps make other disciples, right? But if you're not taking care of yourself, how are you going to go do that? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not living, breathing example of what it means to be a, an abundant Christ follower, abundant, not, a, not an affluence, but living yeah. an abundant life, having a solid family and marriage and relationships with your neighbors and your environment. If you're not doing that, how are you going to go make a disciple? Yeah. And that's just one simple aspect of it. There's lots of others. So when you think about the way that the West engages with poverty, and I realize this is a huge conversation, but if people are, people that are listening are maybe like they're feeling convicted in the way that they, because let's talk about the mindset first. What are mindset shifts that people in the West can make about how we engage with poverty? Well, yeah, that is a that's a <laughs> that's a big question. I know. <laughs> uh, so let me try to take bites at it, and and hopefully your audience understands that this is just little aspects of the full answer that would take a long time to unravel. But I would say back to we talked a little earlier about the whole victim mentality. You know, when we go into a community. First place in 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 let's just just focus on Kenya, East Africa, very poor, rural Kenya, very poor. When we get invited into a community to go and help, if there is a mentality that the reason our community can't thrive is because all of these things that are happening to us, mm. government corruption, the drought, it could be tribal violence. You know, we're, if, if a community thinks that they're victims, that's one of the first things we have to change. But on this side of the bridge, think about it. 
can you truly empower somebody when you believe that they are victims? If you believe that they cannot do for themselves, and that's your worldview, then you're going to make choices of how to help them very different than what they actually need. Because you're going to say, well, they're helpless. They can't do on their own. They're victims of all of these things. So therefore, I must go do for them because they can't do for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just firmly disagree with that. And now there are a lot of people that will get their feathers ruffled <laughs> from that concept. We, it's, it's like what we do professionally here. So you're in you're oh, good. great company. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing is we've got to, you know, if you see the poor as victims, how are you going to empower them? Because you got to let them do for themselves. You have to let them lead. And so the other thing I said earlier, too, is the same thing. And you know, on this side of the answer your question, on this side of the bridge, you know, again, we think that money solves the problem. Mm -hmm. And that's because the average person, 95% of people, if they were asked to define poverty, they would define it in material terms. Right. And if you define the problem in material terms, then the solutions that you're going to put in place are going to be material in nature. Right. Now, we do material things. Don't get me wrong. We are trying to help people lift their household incomes. And we're helping them lift their capacity with resources and all of that. But that in and of itself is not going to solve the extreme poverty problem. Mm -hmm. What we have to do is we have to shift people's mindsets to think differently about themselves and their neighbors and their families and their environment. And when we do that, that's, you know, that that's the secret sauce. Yeah. Again, you can't do that if over here, the people that are helping are just furthering that perspective. How does empathy coexist in the conversation, right? Because we don't want to view people as victims of their circumstances, but I feel like there also has to be space for some of these people have been through it, right? And so- But isn't empathy the very reason that we're helping? True. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the sympathy that we could do without. Ooh. That's empathy drives empathy drives us. Empathy is the when we sit there, when I sit in a home with a woman who can't walk, and her name was Margarita. She couldn't walk. She was about 70. This is in Guatemala, and she lived in a hole. Mm -hmm. And her house burned down. Her husband long, long passed away. She's living in a hole. And empathy is me wanting to go over there and yes, help her, but not because I'm sympathetic. And I don't want to be real clear here that I'm not mean that in a negative way, but I want to sit with her mm -hmm. and cry with her, mm -hmm. not really cry for her. Yes. And um, my empathy is I want to, I want to help her, but I also want to help her community help her Yeah, because it's her church's responsibility. It is the church that needs to be the hero in the community for helping Margarita. Yeah. Not somebody here out, you know, in the West. And, you know, the other way that, that I say it, you know, I say it in the book is, is, you know, we have to separate what we give and how we give it from our need to feel good about ourselves. <laughs> That's offensive to some people. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't feel good about helping. Okay, great. But give God the glory. You don't even have to take the credit. But when the motivation is an emotional response because it makes us feel better that we just helped, we oftentimes get misguided and strip people of their purpose and their dignity and their empowerment, their freedom. So again, it starts with both sides of the bridge, but it starts with shifting how we think here of what it means to effectively help people who are struggling. And I think empathy is at the root of the reason we want to help. Yeah. That may, I mean, you can kind of almost see it start to form like paths, right? If you're starting with empathy, you are going to empower people. 
if you're starting with sympathy and it's a woe is me, you're the victim, you're going to do things for people instead of with, like you were saying, and you just mentioned this, I think that is a fast track to virtue signaling. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, for, oh, virtue signaling is this phrase that just popped up over the last few years. But yeah, I don't, I think we've probably always virtue signaled. Oh, yeah. Now we just have a word for it. <laughs> right. And we also go out of our way to do it, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you were to ask a, a new parent, I just had uh, my first grandbaby about a year, about a year and a half ago almost. And now uh, we got three, or oh. another, another one, two and another one on the way. But anyway, my point is, is, if I were to ask my son what he hopes for his son, Jackson, you know, when he leaves, when Jackson leaves his home, my son would never say, and his wife would never say, well, gosh, I, I hope Jackson has everything that he needs. I hope he has a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I hope he wants for nothing because I'm going to give him everything that he needs. So when he leaves my house, you know, he doesn't want anything. He doesn't need anything. And I'm yeah. like, he would never say that. We as parents would never say that. We would talk about things like character issues, like integrity and work ethic and faith and perseverance and honesty. We talk about all these biblical virtues that we would hope our children would have. I know I did when my children left my house. But when it comes to the poor, Hmm. We don't we don't see it that way. We're not teaching issues of character, integrity, and work ethic and perseverance because life is hard. We just want to give them stuff. Yeah, we want to give them our clothes and our shoes. And and there's some situations like that that where they need that. They need that in a relief environment and after a catastrophic event. People don't need development. They need food, water, and shelter. And I get right. that. But in our environment, when we're in a development environment, they don't need our stuff. What they need is a hand up. And oftentimes we get confused as to how to give people a hand up because we want to, we have this need to feel good about ourselves. We want to go and help and then walk away and say, I did that. Mm -hmm. And man, that's just, that's just off track in my view. It is. Well, and you wrote a whole book about it, which we've not even mentioned in the almost 30 minutes we've been talking. We've been doing this 30 minutes already. (laughs) But I love the title. It's if you really want to help. And that's what you're really is. It's all about is people want to help. They do. And I think that there are probably people listening that this has not been an overly comfortable episode, right? Because it has challenged what helping really looks like. Because the kind of helping that I think the West is used to is much easier. There's a much more immediate return. You can, you give the money, you drop off the stuff, and then you feel great about yourself. And what you're talking about requires investment and it requires time and it requires like you like we've said a million times like doing things with people instead of for them and i think if people are listening and they feel challenged by that they should get your book they should look into 410 what does the 410 come from so the 410 comes from 1 peter 410 1 peter 410 says that everyone should use the gifts they've received to serve others mm-hmm. faithfully administering god's grace in its various forms and so we all got gifts we all we all have gifts and we're supposed to use those not to benefit ourselves but he calls us to use those gifts to serve others Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ways that he administers his grace to us is through the gifts and the service that we provide each other. But work in your gifting. We all have those gifts, those interests, that special talent, whatever it might be. And we're supposed to use that to serve others. We love that. That's our namesake scripture. And 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 we love that. I love that. I love that so much. And I think you, know, you said this at the beginning of the episode, like you're the least likely, you know, you shouldn't be running a nonprofit. But at the end of the day, you know, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Like, yes, you have a business background, but everything you've learned in that is what has shaped how you approach this, how you approach the conversation of poverty. 
Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, based on kind of the all the feedback we get from our church partners, we partner with the American Church, church partners, foundations, donors, things like that, people that go and service, they, get, they have this aha moment. Mm-hmm. And they say things like, oh, now I get it. All right. And they actually feel bad because just like I feel mortified by my first trip to Uganda 20 years ago. Oh, I made every mistake in the book. I'm actually, I look back and I don't even want to talk about it because yeah. it was just awful. But God has a way of redeeming it. The thing I want to point out, though, as you said earlier, is, is that, you know, maybe an uncomfortable conversation for folks because they want to drop off stuff and walk away and feel good about themselves. You know, I think one of the reasons I wrote the book was for people to ask the right questions about the organizations that they support. I mean, we mm-hmm. are the most and still are the most generous country on the planet. Christians are typically more generous than not. We could always be more generous than we are, for sure. But I just want people to ask the right questions of the organizations, of the people they're helping. Are you helping them transactionally? Are you trying to help them in a, in a relational manner? Yeah. Are we trying to shift how pe- the poor think? Or are we just giving them stuff and feeling like, again, transactionally, that we've, we've done something good? And the title of the book I, I love as well, because I, I, want, I went over to Uganda 20 years ago to build a little school building. And I thought I was going to make an impact for a generation. And I was there for three days and I realized this was really of no moment. And so wanting to help, being well-intentioned wasn't good enough. Good intentions aren't good enough. And I really wanted to help. So now I had to to invest something of myself to figure out what does it mean to really help? Now, not everybody can do that, but they can find organizations that are doing that. And hopefully if they read the book, they can they can ask the right questions uh, so that their their resources are going to places that are really going to help and really make a difference. Yes. 410 Bridge is one of those places, and we're delighted to be a part of it. Thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation for the work that you're doing. Tell people where they can connect with 410 Bridge, learn more about it, work with y'all, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So 410bridge.org, 410bridge.org is our website. You know, we have a big campaign going on right now to empower women in the countries to start businesses and become, you know, entrepreneurs and and really focused on the family and and women. And so you'll see that on our on our on our website. But you can learn all about kind of our model and where we work, how we do what we do. My book, if you really want to help, is available on Amazon. They can they can check that out. There's probably a link on our on our website as well. You know, I got to tell you, I could go for another hour and a half if you have it. I mean, I just. This has really been awesome. And so I want to thank you for, you know, asking candid questions and having a candid opinion and not afraid to give your give your opinion in, in this environment because I think it's really refreshing. Oh, thank you. I would say the same with you. We'll, def- we'll have to do this again. Yeah. We should do it again. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.